Turn with me, if you would, to uh, Galatians chapter 4. And Romans chapter 3. We're going to read our passage in Galatians, and then we're going to jump to Romans chapter 3. We are continuing in our exposition of the letter to the Galatians. And we are looking at these last few weeks on why the law is not helpful to us, why the law is being spoken of by Paul, why Paul is so um, emphatic to this Galatian church about the, uh, the error of preaching the law, teaching the law, trying to live by the law, and uh, we're looking at the last, uh, starting last week and this week, uh, and probably another week or two, maybe, depending on how far we get. I, we didn't get very far last week, <coughs> as far as I wanted to get last week, but <coughs> we just uh, follow where the Spirit leads us in these things, and praise the Lord, we give utterance in these. But we're looking at Paul's emphatic plea and, and cry and correction to the Galatian churches uh, about the bewitching of the Judaizers that have come in. The Judaizers are basically those, if we term it in nowadays term, is those who try to preach the law for, uh, for righteousness. They believe that either to get saved or to stay saved or to, uh, to prove your salvation you have to be obedient to the law. And if you're obedient to the law, then that not only can get you saved. Now, there are some that don't believe that, but they believe that it's what shows that you're saved is your adherence to the law. If we aren't adhering to the law, then it shows that we aren't saved. Um, but Paul is dealing with these Judaizers who have been going around to all these churches in Galatia and have been preaching, you still need to be circumcised, you still need to keep the law of Moses, as we've seen last week in Acts, to be saved. And now that's not just a, you know, I'm not just saying that as a straw man uh, for those who preach and teach uh, the law. Uh, that's what the Judaizers were saying back there. That was their intent. You cannot be saved if you don't keep the law. You cannot be saved if you're not circumcised. That if you don't do that, then that shows that you really weren't saved. It was just a lip profession. Well, today we have the same type of preachers and teachers in churches all over the place who are saying the same thing. That if you are not keeping up this standard of righteousness by law keeping, by doing these laws and keeping these laws, then you're just given a lip profession. You honor me with your lips, but your heart is far from me. Well, to the child of grace, their heart has been changed where inwardly we desire the things of God and righteousness and holiness. We desire those things, but the fact remains is that our flesh is weak and it cannot do anything to please God. And there is no righteousness that we can do in the flesh that will get us saved, keep us saved, or make us more pleasing to God because all of our righteousnesses are filthy rags. They cannot please God. And so Paul is telling them this this. Uh, bewitching or this preaching of righteousness by works, by you doing something, by you doing works, is something that is um, easily to hear, easily easily heard, and easily brought to 
the place where, you know, that kind of sounds right and surely we are to be that. And we've heard it all of our lives. Well, if we're to repent, we're to repent of our sins and turn and go the opposite way and not do them anymore. And that if we would just die to ourselves every day, which that phrase die to ourselves doesn't mean to that. But if we die to ourselves every day, then we're going to be able to keep from sinning. And listen, brethren, the flesh can do nothing but sin. That's all it does. The flesh is, is sinful. And all it does is sin. That's why God said that your righteousnesses are as filthy rags. Everything you do in the flesh to try to portray righteousness, anything that you do in the flesh to try to prove your righteousness, anything that you do in the flesh to try to gain righteousness is filthy rags. The only one who's righteous is Christ. And the only thing that's in you that is righteous is Christ that's in you, and he doesn't change your flesh to be righteous. He is righteous. You're not. And so our efforts to keep the law are in vain because we cannot keep the law. Our efforts to keep the law for righteousness is in vain because the righteousness that God requires, the righteousness that God will accept, is only the righteousness of Christ, not your righteousness, which you have done. Okay, so that's why Paul is saying, listen, what they are preaching you sounds good on the outside and it appeals to the natural mind. It appeals to the pride of the in the flesh that thinks it can do something to merit favor with God. But Paul is warning them that this cannot be because God has set up and has said that by no form of righteous law keeping can anyone be justified nor are you sanctified, nor are you preserved by anything that you do. It is all of what Christ has already done on your behalf if you're his child. And that's what Paul is stressing over and over in many different ways. Going back, if you remember at the very beginning, he went back and, and took us back to where he went before uh, the, the, the Jerusalem Council in, in Acts. And we've seen that last week we talked about that. You remember they they said that uh, we have not given any command. Whenever they sent that letter back to the Galatian churches, or well, I say Galatian churches, back to uh, Antioch uh, where they were having the problems, and Paul and Barnabas came down to question the disciples and the apostles at at Jerusalem. Hey, you know, some of the people among you are coming out to these Gentile churches. And tell them that they got to be circumcised and keep the law to be saved. And that's not the gospel of Christ. And you're causing dissension, causing problems, division within the churches. And so we need to come get this established here. What is going on? And there were some within that group that stood up that said that they must do that. Well, what happened? They confronted that. And they said, listen, hey. Neither us nor our forefathers was able to keep this law. And the Gentiles, who Paul and Barnabas are out there preaching the gospel to, they never was under the law. So why should we, who have never been able to keep the law, our forefathers who never was able to keep the law, try to tell those who never was given the law to keep anyway, try to put them under the law that we know that they're not going to be able to keep? That's not the gospel. That's not good news. That is news of condemnation. And we'll see that today. 
So we seen last week in the uh, in that little meeting of the Jerusalem church and Paul and Barnabas that <clears throat> there was no commandment given by the apostles. There was no commandment given by the Jerusalem church whenever they were sending people out to preach to tell people that they needed to keep the law of Moses and be circumcised to be saved. There was nothing there. So they wanted to make that emphatic. Okay? And so we saw that there was no that that was the mindset. The mindset of the first church was not to be saved by grace and then by works we are to serve the Lord and be pleasing to him and to become more righteous by law keeping or to keep the law for a good standing with God. That was never the case, never the message. Jesus gave it to the apostles. He laid the apostles first as the foundation of that first church and then the preached to them for three years. His gospel taught them his doctrine. And then that was also relayed to the church as it gathered. And that church on the day of Pentecost, whenever it was endued with power, <clears throat> began to preach that gospel, <clears throat> that the message of the gospel was never law. It was never keeping the law. And from there, that day forward, as they were scattered out of Jerusalem into all the regions of the area, the message that went out was Christ for your righteousness, not you keeping the law. Okay? So that's what we saw up until last week as we looked at Acts chapter 15. Uh, for those that are watching, uh, listening, uh, you can go back to the uh, previous week's uh, message, and that's what we dealt with is Acts 15. Uh, but today we want to uh, look again at... Uh, at uh, some more passages throughout. And basically what we're doing is just going through the New Testament and seeing what the New Testament's assessment of keeping the law says. Not what the law keepers out here want to tell us. Not what the preachers that preach grace and law, grace and works. These people are Judaizers. They're the same as what was going on last, last uh, uh, in, the, in the days of uh, this church here in Galatia. Uh, we want to see that. But in chapter 4, where we're at is uh, starting verse 1. Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, differeth nothing from a servant, though he be lord of all, but is under tutors and governors until the time appointed of the father. Even so, we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. So, you know, whenever we were immature, whenever we had not been brought to repentance and faith, we were under tutors. We were under that law. We were hearing these things about righteousness. We were hearing these things about keeping the law and that this uh, keeping of the law uh, was something that we thought we had to do. But then whenever we have been given repentance and faith and the Lord had given us and revealed to us the gospel, began to give us understanding of righteousness, we move away from that and we see that righteousness is only in Christ Jesus. Okay, and we no longer need that law crushing on us with condemnation, telling us that we can't keep the law. We now have a righteousness established for us by Jesus Christ, and we look to that for our righteousness. We count that as our righteousness, just like Abraham. Abraham saw uh, what God had, or God had preached, Christ had preached to him, and saw what God had uh, declared as righteousness, which is Christ alone. And Abraham believed God, believed God's account, believed God's testimony, believed what God said about righteousness and that he had no righteousness of his own, but he had one who was the righteousness for him. And it says Abraham believed God 
and Abraham, and it was counted to Abraham for righteousness. Abraham counted Christ as his righteousness, not his law keeping. Okay. And if you remember, Abraham came up out of idolatry. There was no law. There was no, you know, the law hadn't even been given yet. And there was no anything. Abraham was the kind of the first Israelite, to be honest. I mean, that's kind of where it all started. When God called Abraham out of Ur of the Chaldees, they were, they were, they were idolaters. Okay. And so it isn't about law keeping. God didn't call Abraham into law keeping. God called Abraham in to trust him for his righteousness. And that's exactly what everything was. You know, if you remember when Abraham and Isaac went up on the mountain, you know, God told uh, Abraham, I want you to take your son up on the top of the hill. And I want you to uh, give him as a sacrifice. And so he took, or took Isaac up on top of the hill. And his mind was set. I'm going to take Isaac up here and I'm going to sacrifice him unto God. Took everything needed for it, got up there, and about the time he was about to plunge that knife or whatever into, into uh, Isaac, uh, God stopped him. And uh, then they, you know, God said that I've provided a lamb. See, it wasn't going to be by Abraham's works that the sacrifice was going to be made. It was by God's own work. He provides the lamb. He provides the righteousness that is pleasing to him. Okay, even if even if even if Abraham would have killed Isaac, that wouldn't have been pleasing to God because it's not by the by uh, the sacrifices that man choose or that man does or the work that man does. See, all those uh, sacrifices that the priest did, it never could have saved anybody. And God wasn't pleased with those, even though he told them that he wanted them to do that. It was just for a sign and a, and a, and a symbol of what Christ who would be the fulfillment and the actual uh, 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 completer of those things would do. But it says this, it says, but when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son made of a woman made under the law. Now also that passage that we read can also have bearing in, I'm still kind of torn between these two ideas. I, it seems that it can, it could possibly mean both, but it could also mean, uh, that talking about the Jews, whenever they were in immaturity, whenever the veil was over their eyes, whenever they were under this law up till certain until Christ came, they was under the law to teach them and to and to show them their inability. But see, that is a pattern. What Israel, the nation of Israel, is a type and foreshadow of the elect of God, all the elect of God, out of every tribe, language, nation, tongue. Okay. And that's a for, type and a foreshadow of who we are. So whenever we look back and see all the dealings with, with Israel, we see the dealings that God has for his people. And so that's why I say it could mean both of these things, okay? So I'm, I'm torn. The, the context seems to mean the Jews being in infancy and not knowing the full gospel yet. Now the gospel has come. Christ has come. They're no longer needed a tutor, a governor, which was the law. But it's the same with us. At a certain time, we think our righteousness is good enough. You know, our good outweighs our bad. Okay, we may it may not be the Mosaic law, but it's the law of our own righteousness. Okay, so I think it can mean either one uh, and everything. I can be corrected if anybody sees fit to do so, if there is room for the correction with the scriptures. <clears throat> but it says, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law that we might receive 
the adoption of sons. And because of your sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father, wherefore thou art no more a servant, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. And here it is, verse 8. How be it then, when ye knew not God, ye did service unto them, which were by nature are no gods. But now, after that ye are, after that ye <clears throat> have known God, or rather are known of God, how turn ye again to the weak and beggarly elements, whereunto you ye desire again to be in bondage? So we see here that Paul is saying, listen, in infancy, the law is there to show you your inability. But whenever the gospel comes and shows you that God Christ has freed you from sin, has freed you from the law, that Christ has come in and established a righteousness without the law, and that that righteousness is laid to your account, and that that is what God accepts you on, on that basis, <clears throat> and not on your works, not on your law-keeping. Why would you desire to go back under the only thing or the thing, the very thing that condemns you, that just shows you your inability. Why do you try to establish a righteousness under something that tells you you have no righteousness? Okay, so that's what Paul is saying. And so that's why we're going back and let's look and see what the Holy Spirit has given to Paul over the course of many letters, not just to the Galatians, but to the Romans, uh, to other places and Hebrews and things like that. We see that this very thing is taught uh, about the law not being given for righteousness or not to give us any kind of standing with God. So look with me, if you would, uh, at Romans chapter 3. And I will encourage everyone to read through Romans and keep it in its context. Whenever we start talking about being saved by faith, being justified by faith. Whenever we start talking about faith, we see that the context is established here early in Romans that the, um, that the faith that is in view is not the faith of men. Men have a natural faith that is not the faith given in the, uh, in the new birth. Okay? Faith that is given from God that believes the gospel is a divine faith that is a gift of God. It's not inherent in anybody. It is only given by God, and it is uh, something that looks to Christ alone for salvation, okay? So th it isn't just turning, you know, we've heard the, the thing, it's just the object that you place your faith in. That's not what faith is about, okay? It's not about placing your faith anywhere, Faith is something that is given to us by God, and that faith that is given to us <clears throat> is a faith that is governed by God. It causes us to trust in Him. It causes us to look to Him, okay? The flesh always wants to look to self, but faith looks to Christ alone. That's why we went back into Hebrews and did that little segment about faith being the uh, the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, and the undergirding of assurance that we are his and that he has done for us what he said he would do. Not that what we are looking to him, because I look to him and believe on him, then he turns around and gives me a gift. 
okay? That's not what it is, okay? So we got to be, be careful on the context. The faith that is found in Romans, and you'll look in modern translations of the Bible, they get this wrong in the Greek. It is the faith of Christ, not the faith in Christ, all right? It's the faith of Christ, and it's not the faith of Christ given to us in the new birth, that justifies us. It's Christ's actual working of righteousness on behalf of his people. It's his faith. That's what justifies us. That's what we live by when it says the just shall live by faith. It's not talking about the just shall live by our faith in Jesus Christ. The just shall live by his faith. The reason that we live and move and have our being is because of him. The reason that we have eternal life is by the working of his faith. The reason that we believe on him is the working of his faith in us. It's not our faith. It's not our us placed on. We can't build up our faith. You can read this Bible all day long. It's not going to build up your faith. Only Christ gives the measure of faith. He gives it sovereignly as he chooses. Okay? So as we're looking at these things and reading some of these verses, we've got to keep in context what is being talked about? The only one who is faithful is Christ. The ones who are faithful are the ones that Christ has made faithful through faith, okay? But it is not something that we can do, turn off or turn on. It is not something that we can build up. It is not something that we can credit to ourselves. It is the work of God that you believe, okay? So, <clears throat> Whenever we look at the law and we look at these passages in Romans, because a lot of people are going to say, well, yeah, but the Romans, you know, uh, 3.23 says, for all of sin falls short of the glory of God. Uh, and it says that uh, uh, that uh, uh, further in Romans that, uh, that, we are, uh, uh, that we are saved by grace through faith and that not of yourselves, it's a gift of God. Well, exactly. We are saved by grace through faith. But if you look at the context, it's his faith. Through his faith. That not of yourself, it's a gift of God. It's something that was given to you. Grace was given to you as a gift because of the faith of Jesus Christ. So we need to keep our context straight. But let's look here. Romans chapter 3. Let's look at verse 20. Well, actually, let's move up just a little bit at verse uh, 19. <coughs> It says, now we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law, why? Why is, what is it saying? And what is the purpose that it's being said? That every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. So what does the law do? What is one of the purposes that God gave the law? Is to stop the mouths of everybody who thinks that they can say, I have a righteousness of my own. That God sees my heart. God knows my heart. <laughs> you ever heard somebody say that? Well, I know that, but God knows my heart. I've heard that, you know, whenever you confront somebody about error or about something, you know, some blasphemy that they might be doing, they say, I know that, but God knows my heart, knows what I'm meaning inside. Okay? Good example of, you know, one of the things that kind of gets in my crawl is people that say, oh my God. Okay? Well, that's blasphemy. We're not to take the name of the Lord in vain. Okay, to use God's to use God's name as a curse word or as a as something to stress, you know, things like that. That it, you know, that that's blasphemy. 
towards God, taking his name in vain and everything. And you hear people whenever you confront them, especially Christians, and you say something, something like, hey, you know, we take the, name, the Lord's name in vain there. Well, God knows my heart. You know, he knows that that's not how I mean it. Look what's saying it. You know, what's in the well comes up in the bucket, right? Quit saying it. Don't say it. Just stop saying that. But anyway, that's I'm getting off on that. <clears throat> it says that every mouth may be stopped and all the world become guilty. We're all guilty. The law is there to teach us and to show us that we are guilty. There is none righteous. No, not one. We're going to see that here shortly. It says, therefore, in, so when you see a therefore, you want to, as the old saying goes, you want to find out what the therefore is there for. Okay? Therefore means in light of what was just said, the law was given to stop all mouths so that nobody uh, can claim righteousness because all are guilty of breaking the law and cannot keep the law. Okay? So verse 20, therefore, by the deeds of the law... There shall be, or there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. That's the declaration of God, brethren. The declaration of God is that he never planned, never will accept law keeping for justification. You're never going to be justified. And if you're not justified, you cannot be saved. Salvation is being justified before God. If no one is justified, then they are in their sins. They will pay for their sins. The wages of sin is death. Okay? So unless a man has been justified, he stands in his sins and will account for his sins before Almighty God at the judgment seat of Christ. But here, the Bible is clearly telling us, the Holy Spirit is teaching us here, therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. That's the reason the law is given. The law is given and even taught, teach. Now, whenever we preach, we can preach the law long as we preach it lawfully, long as we preach it correctly. The reason we preach the law is to tell us why the law is there, like I'm doing today. I am preaching the law that tells us we're guilty before God, okay? Not preaching that if you'll get out and be a good Christian and do all these things, God's going to be happy with you and you're going to go on to heaven because of it. It says the law is given, number one, not for justification, but for condemnation. It's given to tell us the knowledge of sin and to show us how we have missed the mark. Look at verse 21. But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested. So the righteousness that God looks at, the righteousness that God is pleased with, the righteousness that is just before God in being able to, to justly proclaim anybody justified, the righteousness that God requires for that to take place is not by the law. It's without the law. It says, but now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. So if you go back and you look at the Old Testament, the law and the prophets, 
All of them are testifying of that righteousness which is of Christ alone. It's not, even though it's telling you, it's riddled, the law is there. We have the law, thou shalt not kill, or thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Thou shalt have no other gods before me, thou shalt not covet. Thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not, you know, all these things that the Bible tells us in the in the law and, and all the other 600 and something laws, okay? What that tells us is that you cannot keep this righteousness. Because every time somebody tries to keep it, they fail. And every time they fail, they show that they cannot keep the law. The law is righteous. The law is holy. But I am not. That's what Paul said. Okay? So it's there for a purpose. So we just don't say, well, the, the law is irregard. We don't have to worry about the The law is there for its purpose. The purpose is to show us our inability. And it's there to condemn those under the law. But brethren, we're not under the law because we are Christ's children. See? It says, But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and prophets. Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ. So how is the righteousness of God manifested? Through the faith of Jesus Christ. Not your faith. Not my faith. Not Christ's faith that's been put in me that I have to now work out of me. No. It's the faith of Christ. Christ activity. Christ work. That is the righteousness of God. That's the righteousness that is without the law that is being manifested. It says, By faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all them that believe. For there is no difference. So whether you're a Jew, whether you're a Gentile, whether you are under the law, or whether you are never under the law, righteousness is not by the law. It's by Christ's righteousness. And Christ gives that righteousness to his people, and his people believe in him for their righteousness. That is a statement of fact. It's not a statement of condition. If you believe on him, he will give you your right, his righteousness. No, he gives you his righteousness and takes your sin. And because of that, the spirit is given to us and it manifests in the way that we believe on Christ. Not that we, it is not manifested by us becoming more holy. See, a lot of people believe that salvation is manifested by us being more holy. It's not manifested that way. It's manifested by us believing in Christ alone for salvation. Believing on Christ's righteousness that's enough for God's pleasure, for God's justice, for God's acceptance. That's all. That's what faith is all about. Faith is not about making you pumped up this awesome, you know, faith believer that can get out there by my faith. I'm getting all this stuff done. I'm doing all these works, you know. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. I'm going to get out there and I'm going to bust down the gates of heaven. I'm going to, you know, speak to the demons and shut them up and bind them up and all that kind of stuff. Listen, that's not what faith is all about. Faith is about looking away from your righteousness and looking to Christ alone. That's what faith is about. And we're caused to believe by him, to believe on his faith, to believe on his righteousness, 
to believe on that being given to us alone for salvation. It says, verse 23, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. If you think that you don't sin, you make God to be a liar because God says everyone sins. Everyone has sinned. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Only Christ has portrayed the glory of God, who is the glory of God. Verse 24, being justified freely by your decision in Christ Jesus. Is that what it says? Look with me there. Romans 3, 24. Being justified freely by your faith. Is that what it says? No, don't even say that, Reformed people. It says being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ. We are justified by grace through the redemption that is in Christ. His faithfulness to go to the cross. His faithfulness to keep all the law, to go to the cross, to carry out all the, the dictates of that everlasting covenant. His faithfulness to do that, that is what we are saved by. That's what we are justified by. We are justified freely by his grace. So whenever the Bible says that we are, that for by grace are ye saved through faith, that's what it's talking about right there. Not about your believing. It's talking about what he did. Verse 25, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation. Now that propitiation means a satisfaction, or it could also mean to be a covering for sin. Okay? <clears throat> it means a covering for sin, or it mean, also means a removal. Uh, okay, so it could be removed. It says, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed though, uh, through the forbearance of God. So, brethren, here we see that... Um, to declare, I say at this time, his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. So the reason that we are saved, the reason that we believe, the reason that we understand these things is because God has given us a knowledge or an understanding of our condemnation under sin, but that Christ has removed that condemnation or has taken care of that condemnation, that there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus because Christ was your substitute. Christ's righteousness is given to you. It's yours. You don't have to work for it. You don't have to do anything for it. You don't have to pay him back for it. Okay? It's yours as a gift. So here we see the law reveals sin, but it cannot do anything to fix it. You see it? There is... Uh, that by the deeds of the law shall no flesh be justified. That the law was never given uh, to make righteousness, but it was there to stop the mouths uh, of everyone and make everyone guilty. So the law uh, is there to reveal sin, but it can't do nothing uh, as far as making you saved or getting you saved or whatever. Okay. Now look at uh, chapter 4, Romans chapter 4. We'll start reading at uh, 
Well, let's just start at verse 1 and I'll read down. It says, What shall we say then that Abraham our father as pertaining to the flesh hath found? For if Abraham were justified by works, he hath whereof to glory, but not before God. You can, you know, you can do all the so-called works you want, but the only thing that that's good for is boasting before men. And you think about it, brethren. <clears throat> all these people's out there running around doing all their good deeds and all their good things. And listen, I'm not opposed to people doing good things. You know, I'd rather somebody be nice to me and be doing good and help me, you know, if I'm sick to bring some food over to me or, you know, if we're away on vacation, someone come back and someone's mowing my lawn for me or, you know, whatever. <coughs> I must, I, I'd much rather see someone being benevolent to me than being hateful to me, okay? So I'm not saying that's not good to, you know, to <coughs> to be nice and kind and, and, and uh, benevolent towards everybody. But as far as pertaining to that being a show of righteousness, for that being an acceptance before God or to make you more holy or whatever, that's not the case. The only thing that, that does is it, it puffs up in pride and it boasts of itself. Verse 3 says, For what saith the scripture? Abraham believed God and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Now again, that right there is a quote back in um, uh, Genesis uh, chapter 15, Right? We spent some time in Genesis 15 several months ago, and we saw that in context, if you read this in context, now remember, Paul is quoting a passage of Scripture. He is not expositing the passage of Scripture. He's quoting to remind them of what was already said. If you want to know what was said, go back to Genesis and read it, okay? That's what it was. What he's saying. He says, for if Abraham were justified by works, he hath wherefore to glory of God, but not before God. For what saith the scripture? Abraham believed God, and it was accounted unto him for righteousness. Now, some people say that, uh, says, okay, well, right there. His believing is what was counted for righteousness. God declared him righteous because of, he, because of his believing. That's wrong. Some say, well, there you go. God justified him or declared him just because he believed. Eh. That's wrong. God did not declare him just because he believed. Okay? If you go back to, to the context, Abraham believed God and it, you got to see what the it was there for. The it was pointing back to the seed. He counted the seed to him for righteousness. Abraham believed God and accounted the seed unto him, Abraham, for righteousness. Okay? Now to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. So see, we have two verses, one in front of verse three, one in front or one after verse three. And both of those are saying that is not by works. If it was because of Abraham believing, then that would be of works. And I know some people say, well, yes, but faith is not a work. Yes, faith is a work. The Bible says that faith or belief is a work of God. It's not a work of you, but it is a work of God. God works belief in us. God works faith in us. And so if Abraham believed, it was because God caused him to believe. Abraham didn't believe in, in what God said, and then God gave him something because he did so. The reason that he believed 
was because God had granted him to believe because Christ had already been his righteousness. Counted as his righteousness. It says, now to him that worketh is the reward, not reckoned of grace, but of debt. So if you try to work for God, for standing, for law keeping, or for a righteousness, for acceptance, and I know I'm being redundant here, I know I'm beating the same horse, but we need to understand this, that there is a difference in what we are saying about law and about righteousness and what the modern churches that are out there today are saying. Even the ones who believe in election and predestination, there are many among them who say, yes, we believe in election and predestination. We believe that God is sovereign over all things and that man doesn't come to Christ by his own free will. But then they'll turn around and tell you that your salvation is evidenced by how you act, how you perform, how you obey. It says, but to him that worketh not, but to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, Christ's faith, his faith is counted for righteousness. To the ones who truly believe in Christ Jesus, Christ's faith is counted for righteousness, not your works. We don't count our works for righteousness, we count his faith. Remember, the context of whose faith is in this letter. Paul is writing the letter. He didn't write Romans chapter 1 as a segment and say, okay, here's this part. Here's chapter 2. Here's this part. Oh, here's chapter 3. This is going to be about something completely different and everything. No, this whole letter is about one group of people being sent a letter, and Paul is giving them that letter. If I wrote Kalen a letter and I said everything in my day, it's to who? It's to Kalen. So the context here is me talking to Kalen. So anything that comes up is going to have to do with me talking to Kalen. And if I'm telling Kalen something about this or that or the other, it's got to be taken within that context. And here we've seen the context of faith in Romans is the faith of Jesus Christ, the actual faithfulness, his working, his doing. That is what we're talking about. So when we come down here, it doesn't automatically just say, okay, well, we're talking about Christ's work over here, faith and, and his his accomplishment. Oh, now we're talking about yours. Oh, now we're talking about his. Oh, now we're talking about yours. No, it's talking about his. Abraham believed Christ as his righteousness, his faithfulness for him. Even though it was far off, he looked to Christ. We are looking to Christ alone for our righteousness. His faithfulness is what God received as righteousness so that he might justify us. Okay? Even as David also describeth the blessedness of the man unto whom God imputeth righteousness without works. Okay, see? So God gives this righteousness to us without working, without works. It's free. It's by grace. Saying, blessed are they whose iniquity are forgiven, and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. And you've heard me teach this before and preach this before, and I still think it's a pertinent question to ask as it pertains to uh, eternal justification. And I, I have some good friends who do not believe eternal justification. They believe everything is at the cross. I believe the cross is the basis, is the grounds. Without the cross... There could not be eternal justification. 
Christ has to come. Christ has to die. Christ has to fulfill the law, fulfill all things. That, that's the basis of and the, and the seal of the eternal covenant. It's sealed by his blood. Okay? So that is a necessity. So I'm not saying that since I believe in eternal justification, but I do not deny the need for Christ on the cross. But there are those who deny eternal justification that Christ and God, uh, that, that God in Christ, uh, justified, declared us just, imputed righteousness to us before the foundation of the world, but had to wait until time to impute up that. But to me, and I've still not had anybody answer this question, it says, blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. It didn't say blessed is the man to whom the Lord imputes righteousness. Although that's the other side of the coin, this side of the coin says, blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute righteousness or will not impute sin. If ever there was a time that sin was imputed to us, then this verse doesn't make sense. It doesn't apply to anybody except for Christ. It only applies to Christ. But but Christ didn't have, uh, uh, oh, was, well, he did have sin imputed to him. But righteousness, he didn't have righteousness imputed to him. He is righteousness. Okay? So, blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. That's justification, brethren. God does not impute sin when they're, they're justified. Verse 9, cometh this blessing then upon the circumcision only or upon the uncircumcision also? For we say that faith was reckoned to Abraham. See, do you see what it said there? Faith was reckoned to Abraham for righteousness. Whose faith was reckoned to Abraham for righteousness? Abraham's faith or Christ? Christ's faith was reckoned to Abraham for righteousness. But when was it reckoned to him? Was it before or after God gives circumcision? It was before because God gave Abraham circumcision. Back whenever he uh, had uh, Ishmael and Isaac, God gave circumcision, and, and that's where circumcision began. But God called Abraham out of Ur of the Chaldees and gave him that promise before circumcision was even established. So that's outside of the law, outside of circumcision. So Abraham was righteous, not by law, but by the faith of Christ Jesus. Now look, verse 10. How was it then reckoned when he was in circumcision or in uncircumcision? Not in circumcision, but in uncircumcision. And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith, which he had yet been uncircumcised, that he might be the father of all them that believe. See, the believing in Christ alone for his righteousness is what showed that he was righteous before God. Not in his law keeping. Okay? It says, and he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith, which he had uh, yet been uncircumcised, that he might be the father of all them that believe, though they be not circumcised that righteousness might be imputed unto them also. See, the reason that they were believing is to show that they had been imputed righteousness also. 
Abraham had been imputed righteousness before circumcision, and so was everybody else. Now, what does circumcision have to do with? What's it the type and shadow of? Well, we have some that believe that circumcision is a type and foreshadow of baptism. The Presbyterians believe that that's a sign that the, that the circumcision of the children, of the child, that that was a sign and a seal, and that baptism now is a sign and a seal uh, to, ch to the children. That's why they continue to baptize babies and sprinkle babies um, and everything is because they believe that that's a sign of, of circumcision. However, circumcision is not about baptism. Circumcision is a foreshadowing of the new birth. That is what it does. Okay? It's, this, it's the cutting away of the flesh. It's, it's the, uh, uh, it is the, uh, uh, the cleansing. It's what it portrays. And so it's about the new birth, the new creation that is in us. Okay? <clears throat> For the promise that he should be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law. So the inheritance is not through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. Whose faith? Christ's faith. Through the righteousness of Christ's faith. And here it is, verse 14. For if they which are of the law be heirs, Faith is made void, and the promise made of none effect. So what's Paul saying there? He said, okay, if they which are the, one, the law keepers are the heirs, then faith is made void. Then there's no need to be to have faith. You don't have to be, have faith to, uh, to be an heir. You just get out there and work. What do I do? Whenever I go to work, I go to work. Why? Because that's my job. That's how I get paid. That's how I get my wages. I get my wages through that. I don't have to have faith in anything. I just go out and do the work. And then I get my wages for it. Faith is looking outside of ourselves and seeing that, that, that someone else has established that righteousness and that righteousness has been laid to our account. It says, for they which are of the law be heirs, faith is made void. So if you're out there wanting to be a law keeper, then there's no purpose for faith. Christ's faith is made void. There was no reason for Christ to come if you work for it, okay? Because the law... Here it is. Pay close attention to what I'm about to say. What the Bible says, I should say. Because the law worketh wrath. For where no law is, there is no transgression. Therefore, it is of faith that it might be by grace. Remember, we are saved by grace. So if grace is the way that we are saved, it cannot be the law by the law because the law doesn't work grace, it works wrath. Therefore, it is of faith that it might be by grace. To the end, the promise might be sure to all the seed. How is God going to make sure that everyone of his seed 
that has been scattered across the world throughout multiple time generations, how is God going to make sure that every one of them are going to be an heir? How is God going to make sure that every one of his seeds is going to finish to the end? Is going to be leave upon Christ Jesus is going to come and receive everything that God has promised. How is he going to make that sure? Well, if he does it by anything that we do, our faith, let me ask you this. Have you been 100% faithful to God ever since you've been alive? No. Have you sinned against God? Yes. So that means the wages of sin is death. Not the heirship of life. So how how are you going to become the heir of eternal life if you can't keep the law? Because the law worketh wrath, and only grace is what counts. See, if you try to work for for anything, for a standard with God, it's going to fall, it's going to fail, it's not going to measure up. And it's only going to work wrath against you. For they which are the law be heirs, faith is made void. So faith is not covering you. Faith is not faith is not given for you. Christ's faithfulness didn't have anything to do with your salvation. Your law keeping did. I'm not making those <clears throat> scenarios up. That's what the Holy Spirit is saying. And for those who believe the law keeping is what does it, and not Christ alone and his faithfulness, his faith, then they're arguing with the word of God. The word of God is the one who is pitting the two against each other. It's not your faith or works or anything else. It's the work of Christ, his faithfulness that God counts. And so if you try to do it this way, this is what this is how God considers it. If you're trying to work for righteousness by works and law, God considers you under condemnation. Because that's all that lawbreakers can do. But what does it say here? Because the law worketh wrath, for where no law is, there is no transgression. See, we've not we're not under law now, so we there is no transgression anymore for us. Do we still sin? Absolutely we do. Are we sinners? Absolutely we are until we put off this flesh. But God does not count the transgression against us because he counted it against Christ. Christ took our transgression. He has forgiven us of those sins. And even though we still sin, those sins have all been covered by Christ in his blood. So there is no transgression. But when law, if you're going to bring in the law, there is always transgression. But there is no transgression under grace because righteousness has been established for you. But if you want to be a law keeper, you're going to have to keep it by the terms of the law, which is do this or die. If you want to do it by the law, if you want to make your own righteousness by your own law, by the law, then the law says that there is none that will be justified by keeping it because none can keep it. Therefore, it is a faith that it might be by grace to the end promise might be sure to all the seed. That's how God can guarantee it to all the seed because it has nothing to do with what the seed does. Correct? If I would come in here and I would say, 
I'm going to uh, uh, take my kids to uh, uh, the Grand Canyon. Okay, I'm going to take my kids to the Grand Canyon. <clears throat> and that's my gift to you, to take you on this trip to the Grand Canyon. Is it because of anything that you did? No, it's because I just wanted to do something for you. Okay? That's by grace. I give that to you by grace. Just because you're my children. But if you turn around and you'd start saying, you know, well, I did this because I was such a good kid, and that's why Dad took me there. Well, not really. Because you really wasn't completely obedient to me all this time. But if you want to go based upon that, then I'm going to have to say you can't go because you broke some of my rules. This kind of a bad illustration to prove a point, but that's what I'm saying. If God is saying that if you want to try to keep righteousness by your law keeping, then it's not going to be by grace because grace is something that's freely given, not something that's tried to be earned by. Okay. So the only way that we can all receive it is for it to not have anything to do with anything that we do. But to that also which is of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all, as is written, I have made thee a father of many nations before him, who he believed, even God, who quickeneth the dead, and calleth those things which be not as though they were. <clears throat> now look with me, if you would, down to chapter 5. I want to look at one more verse and then we'll stop right there. Romans chapter 5 and look at verse 20 with me. Now, <clears throat> this is something you guys have heard quite a bit, especially just not too long ago. Um, something that I didn't realize until several years ago in studying this chapter, <clears throat> did God just kind of shed the light on a couple of things. Uh, especially as it pertains, and, and basically, I, you know, in studying this was whenever I was studying about absolute predestination and whether or not God uh, was the one by his sovereignty who had ordained uh, sin and evil, as God ordained sin and evil. Um, chapter 5, and starting at um, verse 12 and all the way down to 21, in context there, we're talking about Adam's offense, Adam's sin. Whenever Adam sinned against God in the garden, that's the context of what the offense is. And you'll, if you follow along with me whenever I preached on that, and I said, you know, mark every place where it says offense uh, or, or transgression or something like that, because uh, it says it over and over and over and over again down through that passage. But we get to verse 20 and, and we realize it says, Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. The purpose of God giving the commandments or giving a, a, a command period. At this, in this, this was before the law of Moses was given. This was the command that God gave to Adam. Don't eat of this tree. You can eat of anything else. Don't eat of this tree. You eat of this tree, you're going to die. Eat anything else you want, but don't eat of this tree. And he said, for in the day thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. He didn't say, if you eat of this tree, you will surely die. He said, in the day thou eatest thereof. God already knew what was going to happen. And he didn't 
foresee it like a fortune teller. He knew it would happen because that's what God had ordained. God had ordained that Adam would be the man by which sin and death would enter into the world and death by sin. <clears throat> Adam was going to eat that fruit no matter what. God ordained it. Adam didn't have a free will to choose not to, and he just did it anyway. No, Adam was created natural, just like we are created natural because we are his ch his child in the flesh. He is created without the ability to keep the law, just like we are. We didn't become lawbreakers because Adam was a lawbreaker. We become lawbreakers because we are children of Adam, who also was a lawbreaker. Okay, His nature was made that could not keep the law. And so look at verse 20, though. It says, moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. God give the commandment to manifest, to bring forth, to show the offense of our hearts, the inability to keep God's law. Adam couldn't keep that law. It just had not been revealed yet. When God made Adam and Eve, before it ever said anything about the tree, that offense, that lust, was in their heart already. It lied dormant, couldn't see it, didn't know it was there until the law came. When the law came in, it brought forth the offense. It manifested that. In James, the Bible tells us that we sin whenever we, by our own lusts, are drawn away and enticed. And whenever we are enticed, then we have been tempted and we are tempted by our lust. And whenever we give way to that temptation, it bringeth forth sin. So Adam, if he sinned, if he created an offense, it was because his own lust were enticed. There was lust in Adam's heart to do what the snake had said. If you eat of this, you will be like God. God didn't really mean that. He didn't say that. He just knows that you will be like God if you eat this. And Adam had lust in his heart that, hey, I want to be like God. I want to have my own righteousness. I want to have my own control. Isn't that what it's all about? Isn't that what you hear at the, at the heart of all the gospels that are out there? Is that you can be like God. You can make yourself righteous by your own works. And you have a free will to choose. Nobody controls you. You can do whatever you want. Brethren, that's, those, those are two things that are only inherent in God alone. Righteousness and free choice. God is the only one that has free choice. If you don't believe me, go out here and try to jump over this house. See how much your free choice is going to let you do that. You decide out everything that you're going to do and see if your plans don't change. You know what my plans was this morning? To go out and get in that car and drive and get Daniel, pick him up, and come right back here. But guess what? That's not what happened. There was ice covering our car, and I had to get it all off. We had to melt it to even get in the doors. I can't choose anything. The Bible tells me to boast not about what's tomorrow because you don't even know what today's going to bring. We have plans for today, and guess what? We're going to try to go do those, but we don't have any idea what might happen. I might fall down with an aneurysm in my head, an aneurysm in my head, not an aneurysm, an aneurysm in my brain 
before I'm even done preaching here. <clears throat> it wasn't manifested, but the law was given so that it might manifest that sin. And I know there's going to be arguments. You want people going to listen to this? You want to be people watching this? There's going to be comments in the bottom of the of the thing that are going to say, "So you believe that God is the author of sin?" That's a whole other story. You got to define what you mean by that. Is God a sinner? No. Is God unrighteous? No. But there is a biblical teaching about this very thing. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. But where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. That as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by your faith, by your law keeping, by your works. No, by Christ our Lord. Brethren, the purpose of the law was that the offense might abound. The purpose of the law is to show us our sinfulness that is there, our inability to measure up to God's holy standard, our, our, our inability to keep the law. That's what the law is for, not for righteousness. That's why Paul is so emphatic to the Galatian churches to tell them, quit listening to those men. Those men are telling lies about the gospel. They are leading you down a path that if you believe these things and if you turn away from the faith and don't believe in Christ alone, then that was proof you never was a believer. <clears throat> it's a very important thing for us to understand those things because we hear so much preaching for keeping the law and being righteous before God in what we do in our works that it, that it, lays upon it lays burden upon our our conscience our conscience tells us well i probably ought to not do that i know the bible doesn't say i can't do that but i probably shouldn't do that see it lays upon it but that's what the people in acts were talking about why should we lay a yoke upon their necks that even we couldn't keep the law and law keeping is a burden it is bondage. The Bible says it brings bondage. We found that uh, uh, in our passages earlier, that it is a bondage. And we have been freed from that bondage. That's the blessedness of the gospel, brethren, is that Christ has freed us from those things. All right. Anybody got any questions or comments? <clears throat> We're going to wrap it up right there. We're going to be. We're going to come back. We're, we're we're still going to work our way through. There's a lot here in Romans. We're going to uh, keep clicking through and, and see that this is not just in in Galatians and interpreted wrongly. Okay, I've been told I've preached through Galatians before. Uh, whenever I first come to this church, I preach through Galatians uh, or most of the way through Galatians. And I, I actually I think I finished Galatians. Uh, but I've heard people say, well, you know, you're just interpreting that incorrectly. You need to interpret that rightly because the Bible says that we need to keep the law and all this stuff, you know. But there's works that we have to do after we're saved to be pleasing to God and to stay, you know, right before God. Well, brethren, that's what I'm hoping to show is what not what I say, not what this church says, but what the Word of God says. And that should be our rule uh, that we go by, right? All right, anybody got a question? Comment?
Father, we thank you once again for the gospel of Jesus Christ. We thank you again, Father, for Christ Jesus, uh, the very heart of that gospel and what he has done for his people. We thank you, Lord, for salvation by grace through his faith. And that not of ourselves, but it's truly a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. There will be no boasting, for God does not share his glory with anyone. But yet his seed will find that they too will be part in, in, in the exaltation of Christ as trophies of what his grace has done. And so, Father, we pray that you might humble our hearts before not only ourselves, but for other to other people, and especially before you, Lord, that you would humble us, um, knowing that everything is by grace and not by our works. Uh, and Lord, I just thank you so much that this uh, study uh, is here, Lord, because for so many years I struggled with this very thing. Even after coming to know the doctrines of grace, I, I struggled with these things, and my conscience uh, was heavy because of traditions of men and because of wrong understanding of the law. But, Father, I thank you that what little understanding I have uh, has come from you and that has freed me from uh, the misunderstandings that we have and the free, freeing of the conscience uh, to know that we have righteousness imputed to us outside of what we do and that we are no longer uh, under the law for righteousness. And Father, I pray that that, that freedom uh, and that, uh, that clearing of the conscience comes to all the children of grace as you reveal it to them in your time. Lord, I pray that you might continue to reveal truth to us, to give us better understanding, to grow us in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. For we know that that is where we grow is in grace and in knowledge. But Father, we know that our holiness never grows because this flesh is dead and it's, and it's just flesh and it cannot please you. And it's not until we put away this tent, this body of flesh, Lord, that we will really know what it is to be like without sin. So Father, Lord, help us now in the consternation, in the, uh, in the, in the warfare uh, against the flesh and the spirit that we will continue to battle until you come again or until we put down these bodies. May you help us, Father. May you give us a right thinking, right understanding. May you help us uh, increase, uh, increase our faith, increase our belief in what you have done for us, Lord. Give us a measure of faith that continues to trust in you and leans not under our own understanding, does not look at the arm of flesh, but it looks to you, Father. Pray for all those who are listening and watching. I ask, Lord, that you might just minister to them by the Spirit, teach them. Lord, I know that the words that come out of my lips, they cannot convince anybody of sin. It cannot convince anybody of truth. It cannot convince anybody of the gospel. But Father, Lord, we know that you can, and your Spirit is the one that teaches, and it's invincible. It's irresistible. So we pray, Lord, that you just might send them upon our friends and upon our family, for those that are listening. They might understand and they might believe. Father, Lord, we pray for our church. We ask, Lord, that you guide it, that you might continue to keep it in the faith, that you might continue to uh, strengthen us, Lord, here, that you might use us as a, uh, a place of fellowship and of uh, 
uh, of, of truth being preached, Lord, that you might continue to do that in this city. And Lord, we just pray for all of our members, again, that are gone for the uh, uh, for uh, Brother Ed. Lord, we pray for him. He's been sick. And we ask, Lord, that you might just uh, uh, give him healing and his sickness. We pray for uh, Kevin and uh, for his family, Lord. We just ask that you continue to give them safety while in Guatemala. And whenever they come home here in a few weeks, Lord, we ask that you give them safety coming back. And Lord, we just ask that you just might be glorified in all that we do and all that we say, uh, Lord, that uh, it might point to Christ. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.